Emergency Medical Minute presents Mental Health Monthly. The Emergency Medical Minute is excited to announce that we are now offering AMA, PRA, Category 1 credits via online course modules. To access these and for more information, visit our website at www.emergencymedicalminute.com backslash CME-courses, or simply click on the link in our show notes and create an account. Hello, and welcome to this very special edition of the Emergency Medical Minute. This is going to be a mental health minute. We are the two guys from the podcast Millennial Mental Health Channel. My name is Dr. Justin Romano. I'm a third-year psychiatry resident in Omaha, Nebraska. I'll be starting the Child and Adolescent Fellowship next year, so that's where my interest lies. Eddie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm Eddie Carrillo. I'm a licensed mental health therapist out here in the Portland, Oregon area, currently working at an eating disorder, partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient program. Uh, I work for a hospital system that kind of runs throughout the state up here. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about borderline personality disorder in the emergency room setting. About 4% of the general population has borderline personality disorder, and it's estimated that around 9% of all emergency department visits involve patients with borderline personality disorder. So we want to teach you guys some strategies for working with patients with BPD that will help you build rapport quickly and better understand these patients. So... Before we get started, we have to define BPD. Uh, BPD is defined as a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image, affects, and marked impulsivity, beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts. So what does that mean? In other words, BPD is instability in multiple aspects in life unstable relationships. People with BPD often uh, describe their relationships with lovers and family members as explosive or tumultuous. This also includes unstable emotions, so quick changes in emotions. This does not always mean fast anger. They also have fast changes to love, happiness, and joy, basically any emotion. This instability in emotions also means impulsive decision-making. So there are nine symptoms of BPD, and in order to meet the full criteria for the diagnosis, they have to have at least five of these. First is frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Number two is a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation. Next up is identity disturbance, so markedly and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. Impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging, for example, uh, spending, uh, sexual habits, substance abuse, reckless driving, or binge eating habits. Uh, One other possible symptom is recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures or threats, or self-mutilating behavior. Affect instability due to marked reactivity of mood, for example, intense episodic dysphoria or feeling very down, irritability or anxiety usually lasting a few hours and only rarely more than a few days. They can also have chronic feelings of emptiness. They can have inappropriate intense anger or difficulty controlling anger, such as uh, frequent displays of temper, constant anger, or recurrent physical fights. 
And the final possible symptom is transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. Yes. So in order to have empathy for these patients, you have to understand them a little bit. And our favorite way to explain BPD is by explaining to you the still-faced baby experiment. In this experiment, it involves a one-year-old baby and its mother. When the mother and the baby are together, they're mostly playing. They're smiling, laughing, pointing, tickling, all of the cute, cuddly things you see with with a mother and their baby. Just cute baby stuff. So when the mother is instructed to have a still face, hence the still face baby experiment, the baby's behavior immediately starts to change. You notice immediately that that the baby looks scared or confused. So it tries to re-engage mother by playing, uh, by laughing, smiling, pointing, doing all the things that had just worked. But mother's not engaging. So what does the baby do? It starts to ramp up its behavior and attempt to reconnect with their mother. They reach out to their mother. They get mad when mother does not reach back out. And then the baby gets angry. It ramps up again. It screeches and claps trying to get their mother's attention. The baby keeps on ramping up its behavior again and again. It will even get to the point where it bites itself in kind of a last ditch effort to reconnect with mom. Uh, Then the last step before uh, they ended the experiment, thank God, as the baby was freaking out, is the baby will scream and contort its body, kind of a temper tantrum. And there's a really good YouTube uh, video of a psychiatrist explaining this. Uh, Just look up still-faced baby experiment, uh, and Dr. David Pewter uh, has a great uh, walkthrough of it. Mm -hmm. So what this teaches us is that when babies grow up in an environment of neglect or invalidation, they learn to ramp up their behaviors to, to reconnect with other with loved ones. Uh, these patterns get established early, and for people with borderline personality disorder, these are hard to rewire. So now there are many factors that go into developing borderline personality disorder. There's genetic factors, environmental factors at play too, but this still face baby experiment highlights uh, that an invalidating environment leads to increasing and ramping up of behaviors in an attempt to reconnect with people they love. This is why you see self-harm and suicide attempts in people with BPD. These patients are so afraid of abandonment that they sometimes pull away to see if their loved ones will stick with them because deep down, they just want to connect. They just want to feel that love. Mm -hmm. And because people with BPD tend to escalate their attempts to reconnect with people, BPD has one of the highest suicide rates at 10%. So it's important to take every suicide attempt and gesture as seriously as possible. So let's briefly touch on what's happening from a neurological perspective. So fMRI studies of the brain show that people with BPD have an overactivation of their fear, anxiety, and anger center of their brain, the amygdala within the limbic system. When the amygdala is activated in these patients, it fires hard and it fires fast. That's why they have these quick mood changes. It's because of that hypersensitivity of the amygdala. There is a biological basis to their behavior. When the amygdala activates, it overrides the frontal lobe, which is usually the brakes of the brain. So it can be hard to de-escalate a patient with BPD because their amygdala just takes over. They are not getting angry easily because they want to. They literally can't help it. So acting in a calm and validating manner to prevent anger episodes is the best way to work with people with BPD. So what does that mean for you in the emergency room? 
Well, it means that one of the best things you can do to with someone who has borderline personality disorder is to validate their feelings. These patients want more than anything is to be listened, they want to be validated, and they want to feel like their doctor is there and listening to them and cares about them. If you build rapport early and earn their trust, it will go a long way in keeping positive emergency room visits. So how do you validate someone uh, or your patient with borderline personality disorder? We want to give you four different tactics to try. Yeah. The first one's body language. It sounds super simple, but if you look like you're listening, people are more likely to perceive that you're listening. I'm talking about all the stuff you learn in grad school. Sit at eye level, make good eye contact, nod your head when they talk to indicate that you're listening. Use repeat back clarification questions like, I hear that you have some abdominal pain. Can you point to where the pain is coming from for, for me? Ask open questions that allow the patient to explain their situation. Number two is Facial interpretation studies have shown that people with BPD are more likely to look at a neutral face and perceive it as angry or upset with them. So be aware of your facial expressions. Smiling is much harder to misinterpret for them. So keeping a positive affect and smiling to let the patient know that you're not mad at them. Next up, we, we want you to set boundaries and to stick to your word. Oftentimes, people with BPD are described as, quote, manipulative. We don't like this term because most people with BPD are unaware that they're being, quote, manipulative. They're just using tactics to get their needs met that have worked for them their whole lives. So be clear about your intentions and be firm but empathic. Uh, these two things are not mutually exclusive. Perhaps the most important thing you can do is give validating statements. So, for example, like, I hear you're... Yeah, I hear you're really struggling. Let's work together to make a plan, okay? Or you're going through a really hard time. Let's get some tests and let's see if we can find the source of your pain. Those little sentences tell the patient that you're listening and you're working together to try and solve their problems. Yeah. Now, are these going to tactic? Are these tactics going to work every time? In short, no, <laughs> and that's okay. This is the reality of human nature and the nature of the emergency department. Not every interaction is going to go well. And just like my mama used to tell me, water on a duck's back. So let it roll off of you. Not every interaction is going to go well. So let the bad interactions go, and don't let it inter like don't let it impact the way you're going to perceive that patient in the next interaction. Next time you see the patient, keep an open mind, and it could be a very positive interaction. Yeah, and to give you some examples of working with patients with BPD, uh, it's time for story time. If you check out our podcast, you'll see a lot of what we do when we start episodes is if give you guys some stories, some real life experiences to tie in the episode's content with what we're talking about. So I'll start off with my story. So my story is uh, I had a young female who was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and I saw her in the emergency room. She had complaints of weakness in her legs lasting for like a couple of months, like three to four months, and had gone to her primary care doctor for help before coming to the emergency room. The primary care doctor had put in their notes uh, that the chief complaint was borderline with muscle weakness. Um, red flag right there if, if you're putting borderline in chief complaint. Uh, so she came to the emergency room looking for help after the PCP thought that this was like, quote, all in her head. So I was on my neurology rotation and I was the resident sent to examine her. 
I noticed that she had hyperreflexia in her lower extremities, which is a good objective sign of upper motor neuron damage. We eventually diagnosed her with chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, CIDP, which is an autoimmune disorder in which your immune system starts to attack the myelin insulation around your nerves. So teaching point here. She was started on IVIG and started to regain her strength back. She thanked me like multiple times for listening to her and taking her seriously. So I think it's really interesting that I, I think in a way, the primary care doctor saw like, oh, a history of borderline has this weakness. It's probably a psychological thing. Now, I also want to make the point that like, I'm really not putting down this primary care doctor. I wasn't there. I don't know how hard the situation was. And it is a tough situation for someone with neurologic signs coming into their primary care doctor. I'm just trying to show that sometimes people with BPD are ignored or invalid dated because they've been diagnosed with BPD. I've even heard cases of, of people getting denied liver transplants because they have a borderline personality disorder on their problem list. These patients are often discriminated against in like a really systematic manner. And my story focuses on a patient that I saw a number of times when I was working at a community mental health clinic. As a crisis therapist there, I saw a lot of people come in as what we called walking crises who were uh, currently struggling and needed somebody to speak with. I'd keep my schedule open for the whole day just in case uh, anybody needed to come in. And this patient came in you know, quite a lot to the point where a lot of the people in the clinic referred to them as a frequent flyer. Uh, the important thing to know is that at this point, we all knew that they'd been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. We kind of knew what to expect. They were a little on the quote, gamey side where they would kind of tell you enough uh, to keep you interested, but not enough to where you could really make a definitive decision on what to do with their level of care. So a lot of the times uh, therapists didn't really like meeting with them because they thought, you know, they were just going to sit in the room for one to two hours with them and not really get a lot done. Uh, and they would kind of feel like it was a waste of their time. But for me, I always made sure that whenever I met with this patient, I'd set the boundaries pretty early. I'd let them know, you know, I have to do my job, that I'd remind them and that they have to understand that uh, I have an obligation to make sure that they're safe uh, and I have to take anything that they say seriously. And this helped a lot with with any interaction I had with the patient. Uh, it cut down my my average time meeting with them by a lot and and not just because I didn't want to meet with them, but because by setting those boundaries, it really, it really let the patient know that I was there for them, but I also needed to be mindful of you know, needing to make a decision rather quickly for their level of care. Um, I use a lot of the tactics that we talked about, you know, smiling, the body language, um, again, setting boundaries and just really validating them and letting them know that I was there for them and that I was willing to listen. Uh, I just needed them to know that I couldn't just kind of sit there with them all day because I did have an obligation to treat any other patients that came in for the day. Uh, and I think that's just a, an important reminder for anyone working with a patient with borderline personality disorder is that while these tactics might not work every single time, the ones we've shared with you, I've in my own experience have seen them work and I know Justin has seen them work in his own experience. So just trying to use them whenever you can in the stressful situation that, that is the emergency department could go a long way in helping to treat patients. Yeah. I know I personally really enjoy working with people with borderline personality disorder. It can be so rewarding. And I've even heard stories of people, you know, 40 plus years old who they hear about borderline personality disorder. They do a bunch of research and they think, this is me. This is definitely me. Mm -hmm. uh, and they go into their therapist and they're like, I think I have this. And the therapist goes like, well, yeah, I've known this for years. 
But a lot of times, healthcare providers are afraid to talk about borderline personality disorder uh, with their patients. But sometimes it can help to just clue them in on what you're thinking, whether they have it or not, because we can't address it unless the patient knows what it is they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So take home points for the day. If you had time in the emergency room to really dig into the lives of people with BPD, you would discover that many of these people have experienced a lot of trauma in their lifetimes. That could be neglect, parents who had addiction issues, unstable home lives, or any other like adverse childhood events. Yeah, the three things that we really want you guys to take away is validate, validate, and validate. <laughs> if you take one thing from us, it's that validating statements make the world of a difference with these patients. Uh, be firm and show empathy for them. It's okay to set boundaries. And if they push you, stand your ground. But again, show your empathy for them. Don't get down And if, if an interaction goes bad. Stick to your guns. You know, stay calm, consistent, and caring. And the patients will respect that. And just taking the time to listen to this podcast and taking the time to try to understand these patients means that you care. And having empathy for these patients will help you interact more with compassion. Simply understanding these patients better will help your interactions with them and it'll go a long way in treating them. So that is all the content we have for you guys today. This has been our Mental Health Minute for the Emergency Medical Minute. Thanks for listening. Yeah. And remember that if you are interested in mental health and you want to hear a psychiatry resident and a therapist discuss mental health more in depth, you can check out our regular podcast, Millennial Mental Health Channel. It's by millennials, but it's for everyone. We have episodes on depression, anxiety, religion, cannabis, social workers, race, schizophrenia, and so much more. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MillennialMHC. Thank you guys so much for listening. We are on a quest to provide the world with free medical education. Please help us out by rating us on iTunes, following us on social media, and subscribing to our newsletter at emergencymedicalminute.com.